You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. again radiant church hey before we get into part two of our series kingdom manifesto i want to invite a very special family to the stage and if you would help me to make some noise and bless them and honor them would the arnold family come up to the stage for a few moments I'll, I'll stand here. You guys can kind of get in the middle here. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, listen, we are so, so, so grateful for this amazing family. Um, if you don't know, Adam and, and Laura, his wife, Laura, have been with us since day one of the church. Before day one, before there was a day one, Adam and I were driving to Troy, Michigan, and we visited Portable Church Industries to pick out all of our equipment to be a portable church. I think we got um, Chick-fil-A on the way home as well. And, and I think you forgot to give Laura a sandwich. If I stare at you. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, listen, we want to pray for them and bless them because uh, they are going to take some time as a family uh, to sort of let go some of the responsibilities of ministry and step back. Um, Laura is expecting uh, their second child. I think it's next month maybe, I think. And so they, we are super excited about that. And they're going to just take some time to be more of a family, focus more of their time as a family. And we want to honor and bless that. So you'll see Adam um, kind of step away from most of his worship responsibilities. And Laura will step away from her responsibilities. And, and let me just give props to Laura as well because many of you don't know this, but from day one, Laura was doing all of our graphic arts for the church. Like that kind of stuff right there that you see on the screen. That, that would be Laura's work, and um, recently she has really spearheaded our outreach here at the church. She'll text me, she'll email me, and so she'll say, Marco, what do you think about if we do this for them, or if we give to them, or, you know, we do this project. She's always got ideas, and she says, I'll take care of it, I'll handle it, and I'm like, thank you, Lord. And her leadership allows us to do outreach. It takes a leader, listen, for the kingdom of God to, to move forward in a city, Amen. Right, and Adam as well started, I think, with three people. I think it was him, Ira on drums, and <laughs> and, and maybe a bass player. No, I'm just I'm joking. But literally, he had three people, and now there's a flourishing team behind him uh, that he has raised up um, to become worship leaders. And so we're going to um, pray a blessing over them as over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see him kind of step away from worship more. And they're not leaving the church, so no one worry about that. They're not leaving the country or going to uh, Texas, although they might want to go to Texas. <laughs> it's too hot right now, Adam says. Um, so don't be worried about that, but they are going to take some time. They're a few months away from ministry, and we want to honor that, and we want to bless them as they leave. So if, the, if our elders or some of our leaders are here um, we're going to pray a blessing over them, come up to the stage, and we're going to lay hands on them. I'm going to lead the prayer, and then I'm going to have Troy, he's one of our elders, he's going to finish out our prayer. And all we want to do is we simply, we simply want to bless this family, amen? 
We want to bless them and thank them for what they've done here at Radiant Church. And they're not done, but, they, but we want to honor their time with their family. And so let's, let's begin to, to pray. I have a, a verse for you, Adam, and it says this, Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his, his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And Adam, the Lord says to you right now, you've been a faithful man. Thank you, God. Let's pray over him and this family. Lord, we thank you for Adam and Laura and Ira, this precious, beautiful family that you've given to us. God, every person, God, that you give us in the church who works for your kingdom is a gift from you, God. And this family is no exception. They are a gift. God, we would not be in this place as a church uh, if it had not been for Adam and Laura's leadership with us and their spirit, their their work, their sacrifice, their tears, their financial giving, God, all of the things that they've done behind the scenes that no one knows about, God, but you know about it, God. God, we honor them today. We thank you for them today, God, and we pronounce blessing over them, God, in this new season, in this season where they can uh, let go of a few things, God, and uh, turn some responsibilities over to uh, some of the other team members and let them step up to the occasion, God. Lord, we bless them in this season. We thank you for them, God. We honor them, God. Your word says that there is a time for everything and that there is a season for every activity on under the heavens, God. And so, God, this is a season for them to focus in on family, to focus in just a bit more on themselves, and again, to let go of, of some of those responsibilities, God. We honor them. We bless them today. In Jesus' name. Father, Lord, we also thank you for Adam and Laura and for Ira. They have been a special blessing in my life and Anne's mm-hmm. life and many of the people that are sitting in this building yes, today. They're an yes. example of servanthood. They're yes. an example of humbleness. That's right. They're an example of faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Father, they, and they, every week, nobody knows, unless you're on the worship team or media team, right. the yep. glitches, the things that go on on Sunday That's mornings, right. yep. Yep. and they look to this man. Yes. And he solves it, That's right. Father, with yeah. patience, and he doesn't panic. He is an example to this team. Yes, Lord. For Laura, Thank Lord, you. I agree with Pastor Marco. She just so much behind the scenes. The emails, the things that she sends out, uh, willingness to work with the leaders, Lord. She's just, she's humble. Yes, God. And I thank you for an opportunity for her to be in my life, to show me by example what it means to serve. Yes, Lord. So, Father, we just ask that you give them this season. We're all called the seasons in our life. Things change, but you stay consistent. Yes, God. So, Father, we just ask that you give them a season of rest. Have them just uh, receive now, Lord to come and receive and be an example sitting out there that they are is when they stand up here, Father, because they are your leaders and they are special to Radiant Church. So go with this family today, Father, and, and those of you in the audience today, Father, I just pray that you move in their hearts yes. to uh, show these to love mm-hmm. and show these to honor. And, Father, just to, just to come up to them today and tell them thank you and job yes. well done. Yeah. And we thank you today in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's clap our hands for this family once again. Woo! You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Love you, buddy. You're awesome. All right. Well, we are so grateful for the Arnolds and what they mean to us. And so... Well, um, today we are in part number two of our series entitled Kingdom 
Manifesto. And I'm so excited about this because this is our summer series here at Radiant Church. Every summer we go through a book of the Bible or we go through a series of verses, like a section of maybe a, a part of a book of a Bible. And this year we're spending eight weeks on a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 known as the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, or that word Beatitude, is what? It's, it's the Latin phrase for blessing. So these are actually blessings that Jesus is sort of pronouncing. And these eight, or these eight Beatitudes, are eight character traits that identify true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, remember what I said last week. There's eight character traits, and um, Jesus calls... All of us to follow all of them. This is not a, a a la carte sort of menu. This is not a I choose number one, but I don't choose number three. Or this is it's a package deal, right? God is calling us to live out all eight of these beatitudes. And another thing that's really important about these beatitudes is that they are counterintuitive and they're counterculture, because they seem to be the exact opposite of what the world would deem as a blessing. So a bit of a conundrum, and we'll see that come to life, especially today as we look at verse number 4 in Matthew 5. If you have a Bible, I want you to join me. We're going to look at the first few verses again in Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus, and we're going to camp out on the second beatitude today. We'll have the words behind me on the screen as well. And Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that last week. And for this week, verse number four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's take a few moments and let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces our hearts. God, might you move mightily uh, in this place. Open up eyes and unlock deaf ears. And uh, some of us who have been uh, dead in our faith for years, God, would you wake us up. God, wake us up to your glory, uh, to your goodness, God. God, I pray that you might change us from the inside out. And cause us to look different when we leave than that in which we came in from, Lord. We thank you for it. We bless your name. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And Jesus says here, blessed are those who mourn. Think about that for a few moments. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't know about you, but I think that for most of us, <laughs> this is like, Incredibly difficult for us to see. How is this actually a blessing, right? Blessed are those who mourn. We could say it like this. Blessed are those who grieve. The last time I mourned or grieved was just a few weeks ago. Um, our family, we lost our grandmother. She was 97 years old. She was a rock-solid pillar of faith in our family. And she was a pillar of faith in her community. And how many of you know that when we were at that funeral... There was a lot of tears. There was wailing. There was weeping. There was sadness. And so when I hear these words, blessed are those who mourn, I'm kind of like scratching my head. I'm, I, I, how is this possible? 
Jesus? Because if you're mourning, if you're grieving, it most likely means what? It means that you're probably enduring hardship, you're in the midst of suffering, or you've experienced a loss, like a death in the family, right? And yet, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. How can this possibly lead to inner happiness? As I was studying this week, um, I discovered there's at least at least four different sort of interpretations or meanings to what Jesus said, says here in Matthew 5, verse 4. Four uh, potential meanings of what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all four of them kind of quickly. And then we're going to camp out on the last two. Because I think the last two, I think those are really relevant for us. And that was the spirit of God leading me to, to really highlight those last two. But I think all four are important as we begin to unpack this verse, okay? So here's what it possibly could mean. Jesus may have meant this. Blessed are those who have a hard or difficult life right now. So think about this. Um, do you know someone maybe who's got a, a, a mental handicap or a, a physical handicap, and since day one, their life has been just a battle? What about someone who's battling or fighting chronic disease, uh, chronic uh, pain, and they've been fighting this for years? What about somebody who's living in poverty? It's a difficult life right now, right, to live in poverty. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. Jesus says, blessed are you. You are blessed. Why? Because in the age to come, there will be a reversal of all things. Right? God will make everything, all things anew. He will turn your situation completely around. Jesus may have meant this. Number two, blessed are those who mourn for the state of Israel. This is more of a first century context application, but I want you to hear my heart and hear this. Blessed are those who mourn for the state of Israel. We know that the Jewish people's um, faith and devotion to Yahweh, it's a bit of a tumultuous history, right? I mean, we, we read our Old Testaments and we discover that very quickly, right? There was always rebellion, idolatry, uh, lots of sin, but there was always a remnant, What's that mean? There was a small group of people, a remnant of Jewish people who were steadfast in their faith, and they mourned over the spiritual condition of Israel. They mourned over Roman occupation. They mourned over Babylonian occupation before that, right? Blessed are those who mourn for the state of Israel. Number three, Jesus may have meant this, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. We're going to camp out on this one a little bit later, but I think this is a highly probable meaning for Jesus here because it's a natural progression from what? From verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's, here's the deal, folks. It's one thing to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before God. That's what we talked about last week. However, it's another thing to what? To mourn over your sin that leads you to repentance. Amen? Amen? Right? And so it may mean this. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. The Apostle Paul actually has a lot to say about that. We'll, we'll touch more on that later. 
Number four, finally, Jesus may have meant this. Blessed are those who suffer loss and have sustained personal grief. Now, my guess is that that's probably what most of us, most of us. What's that mean? Well, well, what about this? Have you lost someone uh, have you lost someone close to you recently? Maybe in the last year, two years, three years. Maybe you, you lost a loved one to cancer. Father or mother, brother, whoever it might be. What about this? Uh, do you feel like grieving is just a regular part of your life? Jesus says, or he calls you blessed, as, as hard as that may be to understand. And we're going to unpack that, don't worry. So here's what we're going to do. I told you this before. We looked at four of them, but we're going to camp out on the last two of those because that's what I think, I think, I think there's more written on those last two than anything else. Blessed are those, number three, we said this, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Okay, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. I'll say it again. Listen, this is a natural progression from, from verse number three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is now a mourning, a grieving over your sin that what? That leads to repentance. Now, what is repentance? I'm going to give you my definition really quick. Repentance is simply a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. A change of mind that leads to a change of behavior or a change in action. The Lexham Dictionary, Bible Dictionary, gives us a great definition of repentance. It says this, repentance refers to an event in which an individual attains a divinely provided new understanding, there it is, change of mind, of their behavior, and what? And feels compelled to change that behavior and begin a new relationship with God. There's that, that action part, that behavior part. It starts with a change of your mind, okay? You see things differently, and then what? It leads to a change of behavior. Now, many of you know that in the Old Testament, I think uh, one of the most well-known or famous examples of repentance comes with King David. And specifically, it comes with Psalm 51, right? Whoa, I better be careful here. Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 is a, a, a psalm of repentance. Now, if you don't know King David's life, I'm going to give it to you in a real quick, like, 45-second spiel. King David was a great king, greatest king of Israel, of course. King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. She's not his wife, okay? He sees her on a tower. She's bathing. He's like, whoa, I like that. And he calls his men. I want you to bring her to me so I can be with her. He sleeps with Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba is married to a man named Uriah. Uriah is the husband of Bathsheba. Uriah is also in King David's army. So if it's not bad enough, right, that King David sleeps with Bathsheba, King David takes it the next step further because he doesn't want to be found out. So what does he do? He has Uriah sent out to the front lines of battle, and the men sort of retreat. They fall back, and guess what happens to Uriah? He's killed. He's killed in action. And King David has that done on purpose. So that he's not found out. That's dirty, y'all, right? Man. And then the prophet Nathan confronts David and calls him out on his sin. 
King David writes Psalm 51. It's the psalm of repentance. And I want to just point out two verses to you. Notice what King David says here. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. He says this. He's, he's, he's talking to God. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Sacrifice is the, the preordained, the, the, the method by which men come to God in the Old Testament. They offer a sacrifice, an animal, a burnt offering to atone for sin in the temple or in the uh, tabernacle. So this is what David says. He says, you don't delight in sacrifices, God, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, or I'd, I'd light that goat on fire for you, right? That's not what you want. He says this, my sacrifice, oh God, is what? Is a broken spirit and a contrite, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. What's David saying here to God? What, what is he saying here? Well, David is saying this, God, you're not just looking for me to go through the motions of church. You're not just looking for me to go through the motions of bringing you a goat or a ram, a sacrifice, a light on fire. Okay, blood everywhere, I'm out, no big deal. Go back to my old sinful behavior. No, no, no. David acknowledges that God is looking for what? A broken and remorseful heart. That God wants us when we realize that we've sinned, he wants us to have a broken heart over it, to have remorse, to, to look at ourselves and say, oh, man, what have I done, right? This is not just about being caught or being sorry that you were caught. This is about weeping over your sin and choosing to change. So let me just ask you a question, and don't worry, you don't have to answer it out loud. But when was the last time that you mourned over your sin? When was the last time that you were truly heartbroken over your sin? I'm talking about deep remorse. I'm talking about tears. I'm talking about snot everywhere, tissues flying. I'm talking the whole nine yards, right? When was the last time you've been truly broken over your sin? This is a necessary question for all of us. Let me ask you this. Has someone ever apologized to you, and when they apologized to you, there were so many tears that you knew they were truly heartbroken over their sin. Have you ever experienced that? Right? When someone says, like, like, I, I, like, as a pastor, like, I've had that many times, okay? I, I had a guy confess to me in his truck. He was like, can you meet me? I'm, I'm, I'm in my truck, and I'm in this parking lot. I'm like, all right, am I safe, right? So... <laughs> So I knew the guys, it was okay. So then I jumped in his truck and, and we met together and, and he had to confess a sin to me. And the moment that he opened his mouth, it was like floodgates. Boosh. It was like, ah, this is what I've done. Ah. I was like, whoa, whoa. I shouldn't have done this. I, Marco, is there forgiveness? Wow, whoa. I, I've had people come to me and do that, and when I see that, I'm like, whoa, there's deep, I, I know there's deep remorse. They're mourning over their sin, and Jesus says, you are blessed when you do that. You're blessed, right? You're blessed. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. There have been other times where I've had people apologize to me, or I've seen other apologies, and there's no, like, show of emotion, and so I'm like, uh, I don't know if he means it. 
You ever had that? They're not, they're not sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. That's not repentance. That's not mourning over your sin. I think we've all experienced that. The great English Bible teacher, scholar, sort of evangelist, A.W. Pink, notice what he says. He says this, it is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it, which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. Oh, man. Wow. He says, it's the, it's the grieving over your sin. That's what distinguishes just those who sort of come to church, go in, punch the time clock, I'm in, I'm out, and those who what? Are saying, I want to change. I want to make it right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go talk to her right now. I'm going to go get me a job and provide for my family. I'm going to go apologize to him or her. I'm going to make this right. There's a difference, isn't there? Some people are just, they're just caught. That's the only reason they feel bad, because they were caught. <laughs> and that's not repentance. Let me summarize it this way for you, church. Oh, how happy. Because remember, right, blessed literally means, makarios in the Greek literally means blessed, happy, fortunate. Oh, how happy are those who weep over their sin. Why? Because they will experience God's grace in a life-changing way. Yes. That's why Jesus calls you blessed. And I know for many of us, we're like, how is morning, how is this a blessing? <laughs> We're going to go to that number four now, that second part. This is a bit, this is a bit more of a, a harder pill to swallow. And I want to be honest with you, okay? This is the second possible meaning I think, I think that's relevant for us. Blessed are those who suffer loss and have sustained personal grief, okay? Blessed are those who suffer loss and have sustained personal grief. Now, this, this is going to war against your prosperity gospel. If you're just used to hearing messages about God bless me, God give me money, God blah, 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 blah. This is going to rub you the wrong way. And that's okay. It should. The, the word of God should rub us the wrong way. Okay? That's completely a good and great thing. Okay? Now, here's the thing about pain and suffering. No matter what we do in this lifetime... I mean, we just will never be able to avoid pain and suffering, no matter how much we try. You can try, but you'll never completely be able to escape it. And here's the reality and the truth about it. The truth about it is that we're not comfortable with pain and loss. Amen? We don't like it. Hello? <laughs> we don't like, we're not comfortable with pain, with loss, with grieving, and we mistakenly believe that if we embrace grief, it will hinder us from accomplishing the mission of God here on the earth. When actually the opposite is true. Did you know this? That Western culture places such a high value on control and success in all areas of life. Western culture places a such a tremendous amount of value on success, on winning, on control, that when we experience pain, we don't, or loss, we don't know what to do. Why? Because we like everything to the up and right. 
We'd like to see our budget go up. We'd like to see our finances go up. We'd like to see the economy go up and to the right. We'd like to see the stock market. I mean, you name it, right? That's what we want to see. We don't want to see things go in the opposite direction. So much so that I'm just going to give you, I think, the three things happen. When pain enters into our life, we do at least one or all three of these things. Number one, we do this. We deny or we minimize it. Now, it's all right. It's, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Right? We, we all hear the sort of cliche Christian news. God is good. What's going to, everything's going to be just fine. I'm like, it's not a big deal. I've heard a lot of people say that. It's not a big deal. When in reality, it's a, it's a huge deal. And you're devastated and you don't know what to do about it. And a lot of Christians, this is the game they play. Deny it or minimize it. Number two, we also do this. We distract ourselves by numbing ourselves. So we distract ourselves with what? With hours of social media scrolling, with Netflix, with Hulu. And then what do we do after that? We, we um, overconsume food. We overconsume alcohol. We overdo sex. We, we just take it to the next level. We, we overdo drugs. Why? Why? Because we don't know what to do with the pain. So we got to numb ourselves, right? I don't want to feel the pain. I don't know. I don't like the pain. So I'm going to numb myself so I don't have to feel the pain. We also do this. We blame others, number three, and we become defensive. We, we blame our loved ones. We blame our spouses sometimes. We, we blame the church. Um, we then push people away who are close to us, who, who we love. We, we push them away um, who are really caring for us. I mean, really, they're there for us. But we start pushing those people away. Why? Because we're uncomfortable with the pain. We don't know what to do with the loss. So let me just ask you this question. And again, all I want you to do is reflect on it. What about you? Are you doing any of these things? Are you minimizing your pain, your loss? Are you dismissing it? Are you telling people, it's not a big deal. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Are you, uh, are you numbing yourself with social media, with um, food, with alcohol, with sex? I mean, whatever it is. Are, are, you, are you blaming others? Are you blame shifting? Are you, are you pushing the people who really do love you out of your life? Are you doing those things? Because that could be a sign that what? Well, that you're mourning. You're grieving something. And did you know this? You don't necessarily just have to grieve a death. Because a lot of people think, well, I haven't had anyone die in my family lately. There's a lot of things that you can grieve. Did you know that? There's a lot of things that you can mourn. For example, you can mourn, um, you can mourn, I can't remember. I look at my notes. <laughs> you can mourn, uh, the, uh, or you can grieve change. The change of life. You can grieve a way of life that is now gone. Did you know this? Did you know that right now, many of us are still grieving from the losses of COVID-19? Now, maybe you're saying, Marco, I didn't lose anyone. I didn't have anyone who died. Okay, that's, praise God for that, right? But how many of you know that 2020 was the year everything changed? So you might be grieving a way of life that was taken from you. A way that things used to be. A normalcy. You're mourning over things. You might be mourning a lost relationship. And I'm not talking about someone who died. I'm talking about just the severing of a relationship. There are so many things that you could be grieving and mourning 
from. Our society has trained us so well to pay attention to success, but to ignore grief and loss. And yet, loss demands to be grieved, and pain cries out to be felt. And many of us are just sweeping it under the rug. It's not a big deal. The joy of the Lord is my strength, pastor. And you're mourning. You're grieving. You're devastated. And there's a million things that you can mourn from. So hear my heart again. It's not just the typical someone died in my family. There are so many things. We easily forget Forget that pain and grief and loss have been a distinctive of God's people from the very beginning. I quoted that verse earlier for you, Ecclesiastes 3.1. There's a time for everything. There's a season for every, uh, everything that happens under the heavens. And then Solomon tells us this. He says this, there's a time to weep and there's a time to mourn. Solomon doesn't say there's a time where you just ignore it all. That's not the advice the Bible gets or gives when it comes to grieving and mourning. I mean, we might think that in our cliche Christian bumper stickers, but that's not what the Bible says. The prophet Jeremiah, he wrote a whole book called Lamentations. It's a book of laments. The dude was crying all the time. Read it yourself. It's in the Old Testament. It's a bit depressing, but read it, right? What about this? Did you know this? That oh, almost two-thirds of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. <laughs> psalms of crying out, grieving. Hey, God, what are, what are you doing? Where are you? And these are a gift from God. Why? To teach us how to pray our emotions. To teach us how to what? Struggle with. Jesus himself prayed with loud cries and tears. Hebrews 5, 7 records this and tells us this in the garden of Gethsemane. So what happens, church? What happens if we don't or if we never express our grief? What happens if we never allow mourning to take place in our lives? Well, let me tell you what happens, but it's not good. Okay? It's not good. Here's what happens. If we don't express our mourning, our grieving, it gets buried alive and our emotional lives become this compressed, constricted box that doesn't allow for anything else. And here's what happens. If we suppress our feelings of grieving, of mourning, here's what happens. At some point in your life, they come back up. And they manifest themselves. How? How? I'll tell you how. Anxiety, depression, emptiness, and loneliness. They have a way of coming back up and becoming, for some of us, our our worst nightmare. Did you know this, that almost nearly 40 million Americans suffer from an anxiety disorder? 40 million Americans That's nearly one-fifth of the population in the United States of America. And during the pandemic, those numbers, right? We're mourning. We're grieving. Are you experiencing depression? What about this? Are you you angry? 
You don't have to answer it out loud, so just don't worry about it. But are you getting angry? Do you just become angry for no reason? Do you feel anxious at times, or oftentimes, I should say? Do you feel like you're lonely, empty? Are there times where you just, you sit in your room and you cry for no apparent reason? It's a symptom, something deeper going on inside of you. Perhaps, just maybe, I, I, I don't know. Maybe you've never grieved, you've never mourned. There's that thing that happened to you years ago, that loss, whatever it, might, whatever it is. There's a million things. You never truly grieved and mourned. You ignored it. You suppressed it. You swept it under the rug, and now it's coming, coming up. I know what you're thinking. Marco, how can this possibly be a blessing? <laughs> I get it because I'm thinking the same thing, okay? So here's what I want to do. We're almost done, but hang with me, church. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, outlines several sort of benefits of mourning and grieving when it comes to discipleship. I want to just share three with you. I'll, I'll try to be quick about them. Here's what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, grieving and loss, God makes us softer and more compassionate through grieving and loss. He makes us softer and more compassionate. See, Sadness softens our defenses, and people experience a softer container of Jesus. Here's a great example. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God did you know this church, the pain that you go through may become the comfort someone else so desperately needs. Number two, listen, God offers us a greater revelation of himself. When we experience mourning, grieving, loss, what does God do? He gives us a greater revelation of who he is. It's oftentimes when everything is fine in our lives, let's, let's be honest, we're Americans, okay, we don't pursue God when everything is good. We do pursue God when things are crappy, though. Can I say crappy in church? I just did. Whoops. Could have been worse, trust me. We pursue God when things are bad in life, right? And it's when we pursue God in those seasons that we discover what the psalmist says. David says this, Psalm 34, 18. He says that God is near to the brokenhearted, right? And he saves those who are what? Who are crushed in spirit. In your brokenness, God is near to you. He's near to me in my brokenness. We experience a greater revelation of God. Number three, God makes us more of our true self in Christ. He makes us more of our true self in Christ. You know what pain and loss does? It has a way of wearing away the mask that we wear in front of people. The mask that everything is good. Bless you, brother. <laughs> Everything's awesome. No, it's not. You don't have to lie. Take the mask off. Pain has a way of just saying, you know what? I don't care what you think about me. Here I am, bruised, broken. Life is hard. Things are not good right now. So this is me. Do you love me still?
Jesus says this in 16, John 16, 33, right? Jesus tells us that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We're going to close out in just a moment here, but I want us to look at this verse one more time. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 4 says this, blessed are those who mourn, and then notice what is underlined, the last half of this verse, for they will be comforted. I want you to pay close attention to the grammar there. For they will be comforted. When you're a Greek student in seminary, you have to learn grammar, and it's terrible. <laughs> and yet it's very necessary. And they teach us to interpret Scripture grammatically. It's not very fun, but it is important. Notice the tense they, there. For they will be. It's the future tense. It's the future tense. There is a promise that we will be comforted. Keep that verse up for, for longer. There's also something else going on here that most of you probably wouldn't know about. This tense, they will be, is what scholars call the divine passive. The divine passive simply means this. It's passive because the action is being done towards us. It's divine. Why? Because the one doing the action is God himself. What's that mean? This means that the one who will comfort you is God himself. This speaks to the idea that you will be comforted here and now, but you will be comforted in its fullness in the age to come. Partially right now, fully in the age to come. So let me just remind you today, church, I just simply want to remind you this. This is not the end of our story. This is not the end of your story. So if you're here this morning and you're experiencing loss, a death, maybe, yes. Maybe a loss of a different kind. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're mourning. All of it matters. First of all, all of it matters. There's nothing that's like, oh, this is less and this is more. All of it matters. But if you're experiencing a loss of some sort, this isn't how it all ends. I just want to remind you that. That God has promised that he will comfort us. He will comfort us now and in the future, in the consummation of all things. When Jesus returns, brand new heavens, a new earth, new heavens, a day when he'll wipe every tear away. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. He says this, There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Listen, church, I'm, gonna, I'm about to wrap up. We're not comforted until we mourn, okay? We're not comforted until we grieve. Let me just leave you with this. We, we mourn and we weep, not because we're comfortable with it. We cry and we grieve over a loss, not because we enjoy it. We do so, why? Because Jesus promises that we will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted.
comforted. And for, perhaps for some of you today, it's time for you to stop ignoring the pain. It's time for you to stop minimizing your loss. And the word for you today is simply this. Blessed are those who mourn. You're going to be comforted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you today so much for your word, God. I, God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, I love that your word speaks to the most difficult areas in our lives. I love that your word never shies away or, 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 or tries to ignore the difficult subjects or areas in our life. God, thank you that your word speaks to us for every circumstance. God, right now I pray, Lord, that we would allow your word to permeate our hearts, God. God, remind us that we are blessed if we mourn over our sin, if, we, if it leads us to a change of behavior. God, we are blessed. God, we are blessed when we mourn or we have sustained a loss or we grieve, God. Why? Because we will be comforted by God himself. Lord, remind us of that truth today. Remind us of your promise that we will be comforted. Lord, and if there's any of us who, who have tried to minimize it or diminish it or hide it, Lord, God, may we come out. May we come out of the closet, Lord. May we tell others, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my faith. God, in, in doing so, may you bless us and may we be comforted by you yourself. This blessing rests on all of us as we leave today. We thank you for it. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Prayer partners, if you want to come on up, we'd love to pray with you this morning.